Welcome back. You are listening to the It's Never Too Late to Be Healthy podcast, and I'm your host, Kevin Brady. Through my own experiences as a lifelong athlete, community volunteer, author, and company founder, I'm on a mission to educate, inspire, and motivate individuals of all ages to improve all aspects of their health and live their best life to the fullest. I built my company, Advoca Health, based on this mission. Advocate Health assists companies and individuals navigate the very best health solutions both at home and in the world. On this podcast, I meet with industry-leading experts and partners with the aim to share simple strategies and tips to help you live a healthier, longer, and happier life. Sit back and enjoy the show. It's my pleasure to welcome back Nicolette Roche to the N2L or It's Never Too Late to Be Healthy podcast. We are trying to catch up with Nicolette during her 22 million strong campaign across BC. However, it was logistically impossible, so I'm excited to have her back on the show today. Like me, she is a firm believer that food is medicine and can be used to treat chronic conditions. Nicolette's original plan was to cycle and run across BC with the goal of doing 100 kilometers per day of running and biking for 35 days straight or to cover 3,500 kilometers. Unfortunately, due to injury and the massive fires out in BC, she had to cut her trek short, but still managed to accomplish doing 1,700 kilometers. She shares today some of the incredible relationship she made while on tour and the insights she gathered from pushing beyond her physical limits every day. Her greatest goal is to help the world with her message, eat real to heal, and still has her eyes set on taking her tour across Canada next year. As many of you know, I'm an avid, avid uh, cyclist and runner, and I hope to join her on a portion of her ride and run next year to cheer her on. Congratulations, Nicolette, and welcome back. Nicolette, thanks so much for joining us again today. Thanks so much. It's such a pleasure to be here again with you, Kevin. Yeah, I know uh, last time you and I talked, we were trading emails as you were on your tour, which we're really going to dive into today. And I and we were actually trying to do this podcast while you were on tour. But uh, I think your correspondence back to me basically said, you know what, it's probably impossible to do that because I don't know where I'm going to be and I'm going to be in remote communities and that type of thing. Right. Oh, yeah, it was, yeah, lack of Wi-Fi. I mean, we take it for granted that we have such incredible Wi-Fi in our community and everywhere when we need it. But then the minute you hit the road in British Columbia, it's so, you know, diverse and sparse and yeah, not, there was no internet coverage in most places. And as well, and every day was just a brand new day. You could plan until you were blue in the face and then literally everything would go sideways. So um, yeah, you're always being just flexible and, and trying to figure out like just even how to get through the next hour sometimes. I'm, I'm excited to dive in and hear all the details. So um, for our listeners, I know we touched on it last time, Nicolette, but for our listeners that didn't listen to the previous podcast, would you mind just sharing kind of just your, your background in terms of 22 million strong and what that campaign's all about and and then yeah. we'll uh, get more specific into your BC tour. Yeah, definitely. So 22 million strong is a campaign that we launched just prior to COVID and it's where 
we decided that we needed to get face to face with people and we wanted to really hit the ground running, uh, no pun intended. So we decided that I would run and bike across Canada, meet with Indigenous communities, BIPOC communities to understand the barriers to accessing clean, real food. And so I would run and bike from mile zero in Victoria, British Columbia and finish in St. John's, Newfoundland. And in doing that, I would get to get healthy as well because I had stopped moving my body in service of our businesses that we had launched. And um, I was really behind my computer a lot of the time. And yeah, physical activity was minimal, especially with juggling three kids. And so it was sort of trying to um, do many things all at once with this campaign, get me healthy, um, uh, be able to meet with people to talk about food as medicine and that chronic diseases can be reversed completely using food as medicine. And, um, and then also really uncovering those barriers that I talked about, because it's something that needs to be uncovered if we're ever going to find any solutions to food sovereignty and food security. Yeah, yeah. And so um, just for the audience again, so obviously that you had to um, step back because of COVID and, and go from the Cross Canada tour to the BC tour. Um, so can you just share, you know, how long was it? How many days did it take? Uh, you know, just some details on it. Sure. Yeah. So we were supposed to actually leave July 1st to go across Canada, but then there was that last shutdown with COVID that happened that particularly hit us hard in Whistler um, and our businesses in Whistler. And so we decided to postpone the tour until 2022. And then I thought, because we have our amazing sponsors, Lululemon, Solomon, Guayaki, Yerba Mate, we have all of our sponsors and we have all of their followers and our followers, and we wanted to keep people engaged over the next year. So we decided to do just a, I called it the mini BC tour, but it was still half the length of the tour. So we stayed in British Columbia just to make sure we wouldn't get turned away at any borders if the outbreak got worse and we also just didn't want to put a lot of people at risk so we you know simplified our crew we only had one support crew driver and then my kids and my husband on tour and you know we didn't really make a big thing out of it with getting lots of people to um to join just so you know fewer doorknobs were touched and and so the tour was meant to be 3200 kilometers which was an arbitrary number that i had just thrown out there which is by the way like you called it a mini tour on our last podcast and I'm looking at mini that's like still halfway across Canada you just did it in one province yeah yeah and <laughs> I know? actually didn't complete the 3200 days we only got 1700 kilometers uh done and we had to call the tour four days early as well and so we ended up coming up against every obstacle you can imagine. So um, our two of our vehicles broke down within 10 minutes of each other, which oh, meant no. that we couldn't go from Golden to Lake Louise. Um, so every day when you lose 100 kilometers, it's hard to make 100 kilometers up in the tour. Um, the oh, smoke cool. was really bad. We had so many hectares of burning land throughout British Columbia. And so we were stuck trying to wait for our vehicles to get fixed. So that took three or four days. So right there, we lose 400 kilometers. Um, that I couldn't run in certain communities. So you'd wake up in the morning and it would be blue skies when you went, you know, to bed at night, clear skies. And then you'd wake up and it would be the whole town would be covered in smoke. And the air quality index was like 187. And, you know, you're not even supposed to exercise. In no, that. you're not even supposed to be outside, let alone no. exercise, right? Exactly. Yeah. And you're supposed yeah. to have air filters on and masks on. And here I was really 
like struggling with like, okay, I want to, you know, hit this 3,200 kilometer number, but you know, do I go out there for six to eight hours, um, yeah, you know, and, exercising and, and yeah. And suffer your own concert health consequences potentially. Right. Yeah. 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 And it brought up a lot of, um, it was interesting because it brought up a lot of internal struggles for me, like for other, my crew was like, and my husband and kids were like, don't do it. And I was like, but I need to hit this goal. And so it was constantly this dilemma that I was battling. And then always at the end, I'd be like, oh, right, I'm promoting health. I should not be putting my own health at jeopardy. So yeah, it was tough. Yeah, it's crazy. So you're, um, so you still finished with 1700 kilometers. So huge congratulations on that. Like, don't, don't sell yourself short. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and it causes amazing as well. Like, I love the fact that you, you know, you said, I'm doing this A for me, because I used to be, and used to, I, I'll say you still are a workaholic, you just added fitness to your, your daily, daily regimen. Yeah, um, yeah. So you're doing what's good for you, but you're also helping to spread the word in the communities and get the word out there. And, you know, really, I'll say help, help BC, but help Canada and help the planet, right? So you're, I mean, not only you're helping yourself, you're helping the world right and uh, with your message so just you know huge huge congratulations and uh, hats off to you and uh, again don't sell yourself short that's a huge huge feat and and uh, I know you're probably still have your eyes set on going across Canada at some point so yeah yeah um, it was yeah I was just gonna say that um, it was a big thing that I did struggle with like not hitting that 3200 kilometer goal and I think when you know you're driven and you're an entrepreneur or you're you know an athlete and, and endurance athleticism is new to me you know I'd never done anything like this before and so um yeah I had to really work through that with my coach you know to say oh yeah 1700 is still great you oh, know wow. but what it's done is like the fire in me to be like I want to nail that 3200 kilometers and I want to definitely make it across Canada and and more so for the relationships I would say that we built along the way because everywhere we went we just met some of the most incredible people who had these amazing stories about reversing chronic disease so it was you know not hitting that 3200 it just made me think about every relationship that I also wasn't you know, achieving in that time. So yeah, I'm still keen to go across Canada and it's still going to happen. Sure you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, um, I believe you said you, your goal was to do hundred kilometers a day uh, and that was running and biking. Did you have a plan to say, okay, I'm going to bike 80 kilometers a day and run 20 kilometers a day or, or did yeah. you just kind of freewheel it day by day or, you know, how did that work? Again, it was that arbitrary number that I came up with and my coach said, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, 80K biking, 20K, 21 kilometer run. Um, and, and I did start off doing that. And then blisters, which are the ultimate, I think, downfall for every athlete out there because blisters Ooh. are some of the most painful thing, as you probably know from doing your marathons. But yeah, those took me out actually by day five. And so then, yeah, again, another call with my coach and we're like, okay, how do we rework this? And, you know, so it ended up, you know, going back to hundred K of biking and no running. I also got wicked shin splints, which I'd never had in a year of training, never had a blister in a year of training. And for some, well, I know the reasons why I got them um, on the tour. So that was, um, we had to let those heal because my, my end goal is to make it across Canada. So I needed to make sure that I didn't do any, you know, real damage. So we yeah, switched to just biking. Is, 
Yeah, and the reality is even with blisters, I mean, I've had blisters that have become so bad, like backcountry skiing, like up in Alaska, where they become infected, you know, yeah. and then you're in real trouble, right? You could get cellulitis and all that type of thing. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. It took weeks for them to heal, and which was so strange, again, to have done six days of training, you know, for an entire year and not to have to deal with blisters to all of a sudden, you know, I think it was just all the, the out, like it was six to eight hours a day on the road. Yeah, 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 for sure. So let me uh, ask you if it, it sounds like this is going to be a tough one for you to answer, but what was it? Give me a typical day. Like, give me, or maybe give me your first day. Okay. And then give yeah. me, give me, okay, here's what really happened. Like, you know, halfway through the doors. <laughs> for sure. So, you know, my goal was to wake up early and hit the road by like eight o'clock at the latest. And that never happened once. Um, we stayed with a lot of friends in the first few days of the tour, like in different locations, which was wonderful to see people. And um, but at the same time, it means you're staying up late, you're not getting out of the house early. And so I would hit the road usually between 10 and 1130, which was fine for me. I love the heat. So I had no problem being in the heat. Um, and then I would really just figure out the, the terrain and which was hard to do. Cause even with Google satellite, like you can put the little guy on the road and it'll look like it's a paved road. And it would have been a paved road five years ago when they took the picture, but all of a sudden it was a gravel road when you arrived there. So we would just really look at the, the route every single day and decide whether it was running first or biking or vice versa. And so I would just, you know, pack up the food on my bike, get all my stuff together and then I would just get on my bike and go. Um, and my support crew vehicle would always, um, at first I was like, yeah, just go 25 K ahead. That's not far, but when you're running and biking, that is far. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, we'd shorten the distance to be like, go 10 K up and wait for me. Um, and so, you know, and then I would just, I would eat, like I have my food. I didn't eat very much throughout the day in the sense of while I was biking, um, or running, I would just, you know, make sure I got my 200 calories in every hour. So that's not very much food at all. Um, and I just stayed hydrated. I was really, really on it with my additional nutrients that I needed and the food and the water. And that was my main like focus was that I didn't, um, overwater, underwater, and, and, and I made sure I was neutrified. And yeah, and then, you know, sometimes I, you know, stop for on the side of the road for a pee break or whatever it was. And, you know, to, you know, fix something on my bike. And it was interesting, like just people would come out of nowhere and be like, what's 22 million about? So sometimes I'd end up in a conversation for 45 minutes, which definitely extends the day. So there were days when I wasn't getting in until, you know, 930 at night. Um, and, you know, and some days were, yeah, like, the first day was great. Like when I switched from biking to running, I knocked off that 21 K um, and it was just a beautiful run on the highway and nice to be against the traffic as well as opposed to with the traffic, because um, some of the roads were pretty, you know, pretty crazy on a bike. Yeah, yeah. And so running was actually very, it was a nice contrast. And yeah. And then I would get back and food would be waiting for me. My husband would have all the meals done and I would sit with my girls and they would catch me up on the day of them playing in the lakes and wherever they were camping. And then we would go to bed and do the same thing the next day. Wow. Unbelievable. Like you think of that 21 kilometers I and mean, you're basically, you're running a half marathon every day. Like that's, that's, that's unbelievable. 
you know, good. good Yeah. And we, I mean, we, I got two half marathons in, in the first two days. And then because of the blisters and the shin splints, we, you know, scaled it down and then we scaled it down until we said basically like no more running. So, yeah. yeah, So I'm going to, that's going to be my focus this year is, you know, I'm at physio um, throughout the week and getting massage throughout the week to just work on making sure all the muscles that were really tight that caused the shin splints um, are going to, are, you know, those are all being worked out and the fascia is being released and I'm doing the proper exercises. Um, and then next year, my goal is to do that half marathon every awesome. day. Yeah. Awesome. Every day. Awesome. Well, I can't wait. Cause I plan on joining you when you get to our neck of the woods, or I might even come out and start out with you in BC. <laughs> you never exactly. know. <laughs> that would be amazing. That's the highlight of the trip was always when I, um, biked or ran with somebody, I'm somebody who loves the company. So yeah, hundred percent. I welcome you to join me. Yeah, it can get lonely. I know that for from uh, and you know that from training, it can get very lonely after a while. So yeah. um, now let me you, you mentioned you slept with friends for a few days, but typically would you where would you sleep hotels uh, camp? Did you have a Winnebago? Like where would you sleep at night? Yeah, I wish we had a Winnebago, but we had a trailer that we towed on our truck. um, And then we had our support crew vehicle. So our crew slept in the tents and then my family slept in the trailer. And yeah, we were super cozy and um, I loved it. I actually didn't want to live, leave the trailer life at the end of the tour. I was like, I don't want to go back home and have to clean a house. And it was very simple living. And it was, and yeah, and I started to actually crave it and just having the trailer parked, you know, on the edge of the ocean in a lot of our campsites where we stayed, RV parks, and just to be able to walk out the door and be outside in fresh air and have these amazing views and vistas. It was, it was magical. You know what? It's, it's the, well, I I know you believe this, but I believe in it. I mean, the more we get back to nature and just simplicity in life. I mean, I, I always tell you, you know, whenever I come out, one of the reasons I love the mountains and love coming out to BC so much is I, I always feel like it's home, you know, like yeah. I just feel at home in the mountains and whether it's backcountry or running or biking or whatever, it just, it's amazing. So, yeah. And uh, it's funny. I was talking to um, uh, an individual that this person has basically uh, you know, humongous house and has a massive cottage and all the, basically anything he wants in life. And he told me recently, he said, yeah, he said, he started showing me pictures and said, I bought a piece of property uh, up in the north, like five hours north. And, uh, and I said, Oh, yeah, cottage. And he said, Nope, just piece of property He says, I'm, I'm bushwhacking. I'm, I'm, he says, everything I'm doing is off the land. He says, mm-hmm. I'm using the land to build, you know, I'm going to build, a, eventually build a cottage. And he said, my, my wife won't even come up with me. My kids won't come up with me. Right. He said, I, you know, I start a fire with, with rocks, right. He's just, wow. he's YouTube, all this stuff. He's not even on the, on the grid. He sleeps in a tent. He's, you know, there's bears up there. And I kind of laughed after he's telling that because he said, yeah, I came home for a couple of weekends and I went to, you know, the real cottage and I thought, what am I doing here? I want to go back up to the bush. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's amazing that you, that you, you know, you've got anything you want in life and people all want to do what you have. And meanwhile, you're going back, you're saying, I just want nature, man. I, Cause yeah. you know, it just, the feeling it gives you, you know, and, and that's uh, what happened. You know, I've, I definitely have felt that my whole life. Like I am someone who communes with the trees and I could just lay in a field of grass and stare up at the sky and I'm in pure, utter bliss. And, you know, being on this tour though, it was interesting because to push your body so hard every single day, um, it was one of those insights that I got is that 
you know, humans, I think we need to exhaust our bodies every day physically. And when we do that, and then you get to fuel yourself, like we're lucky, we get to fuel ourselves really well. Um, we're, we're really privileged in the world because there's so many people who don't get that luxury at all in Canada. There's many Canadians who don't have access to good food, good nutrition, good anything. And, and even meals, like they might get one meal a day and, but fueling yourself well and exhausting your body every day, honestly makes nature the only other thing that you need. That's it. Yeah, it could be that our life could be that simple. And you feel just so filled up and grateful. Like I was grateful for every tree that I passed that provided shade. I was grateful for every breeze, like the breeze and the winds and that just the, the views ahead and, you know, like the rocks on the side of the road, like it was just a magical experience. Yeah. Even just, as you say, just nature, like I, I you know, so I think so many people, what I talk and, and write a lot about in my blogs is I know you're an endorser of, but is, you know, we rush through life and we're so in a hurry. And, you know, if you just look out, I'm looking out the window right now and I'm seeing just a bush. But if you look at that bush, there's insects around it and there's Everything. caterpillars and there's butterflies and like there's beauty all around us, right? We just all have around. to stop and notice it, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's great. That's a great, great learning. And I was thinking as you were talking, you're saying, you know, that's how simple it is. And I was thinking of, you know, as you know, in my book, I talk about the wheels of health and I talk about, you know, fitness is one wheel while mm -hmm. you exhausted yourself every day. And then you said, and then, and then I had to uh, re-nourish myself. And you did that by eating obviously plant-based foods, which yes. I'm going to get to in a moment. And then you, and then you went, and then you also replenish yourself by sleeping, right? So you're regenerating 100%. your brain and your, and your muscles. And then because you're in nature, your mindfulness, your stress levels were, you're at peace, right? Like a, totally. just what a simple, what a simple equation, you know? It is that simple. And I think about the kids, I thought a lot about just children in our society that are inside in classrooms. And I had written my master's thesis on de-schooling for an eco-citizenry and that we need to pull kids out of the classroom, make nature in our, the natural environment their classroom, but the classrooms themselves, their laboratories. So that's where they do all the testing and philosophizing, but everything is really, everything's happening outside. And so I just thought about kids. I'm like, oh, if we could just keep them moving throughout the day, that we don't even need to teach them about nature. They would just be in it, studying it, learning it for themselves, seeing, you know, observing the intricacies of it. They'd be discovering things we have yet to discover. And then at the end of the day, their, their nervous system is just so balanced and so um, just able to support them in the healthiest way. So their immune systems would be thriving because they'd be outside breathing in and all this, you know, the microbiome, the dust, the, the ions, everything that's, you know, free floating to us and available to us outside, but we don't get ourselves outside and allow us to, you know, take in these things. And then it would just be, we'd be, it would be such a different world that we live in. Yeah, no, I that. totally agree. Meanwhile, we're in, they're in classrooms straight hours a day under fluorescent lights, you know, with no light coming in or very little light and they go for recess for 15 minutes you know it's like yeah exactly crazy. 
Yeah. So um, for our listeners, um, Nicolette, uh, I'll just share that prior to your training for this, you did very, I mean, I, I knew you were an athlete, you know, growing up over the years and, and played soccer, I believe down in the US at a very high level or basketball. I'm not sure one of those two. Tennis. Tennis. tennis there you go. Yeah. I didn't even have that. All right. So, uh, but, it, um, but you had, because of your work and your commitment to your cause, you really had kind of, I'll say, get off, you got off, the, I'll say the fitness, uh, the fitness focus. Um, but then because of the 20, 22 million, you said, you know, I got to start running again and get doing some things. And I believe in the year before you even started this initiative, you probably had run like once or twice or three times. So you yeah. engaged a coach who we both know, Chris. Um, mm -hmm. So I just like input. Maybe you can give me some input on, you know, leading up to uh, the, your, the 22 million strong, the, the event. Um, and also, I, I'm interested to know how in touch were you with Chris during the, uh, the, the runs and the rides on your tour? Yeah. Um, so for the first part of that, um, yeah, you're right. I, you know, when I was fit after I had my first daughter, because when you have one kid, it's really easy to put them in a stroller and hop around town walking everywhere. But then, you know, when I had my second daughter, you know, things slowed down. My youngest wanted to be walking and little ones don't walk fast and far and you know they want to stop and smell the flowers every step of the way so um yeah so I didn't really move my body and it just life became busy we started the green mustache I started consulting 15 years ago so, which meant that I was sitting in a chair you know consulting my clients um behind a computer way too much I was doing my master's and then my PhD so that of course is sitting behind a desk again and I didn't prioritize movement. I don't know if I had this idea that, well, I'm an athlete, you know, I, you know, I was an athlete once. So therefore you're always an athlete, but no, like you physically have to actually move your body. And of course, when the, you know, the pregnancies and my third pregnancies, my lower back went out and, um, my stomach had separated at diastasis recti, uh, which is separation of the recti abdominis muscles. Wow. And that makes it, um, you know, that, that can contribute to a lot of back pain, which I had, um, and so I just, you know, and I, the thought of trying to like heal all of that meant hours in the gym and you have to work out every single day and you have to train those muscles, muscles specifically, cause you don't have any fascia holding it together. And I just, just gave up on it all. And then all of a sudden, before I knew it, 16 years had gone by and, um, and I was a bit mortified actually. And it really hit me when, I, our office, you know, we had nine staff in our office and I would have to walk up a flight of stairs or take the elevator. Um, but I would, every time I tried to walk up the stairs, like I noticed, I was like, wow, it is hard to breathe. And my quads are aching just from walking up a flight of stairs. And uh, my staff would often comment that, you know, they would often say like, how do you not leave your desk throughout the day. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't drink water. They would get me my food. So I didn't have to leave my desk. And, um, you know, I wasn't barely even getting up to go pee. I was going pee probably twice a day, which is not healthy. And, um, and it was, yeah, I was a workaholic really through and through. And so, um, the first thing I had to do was I had to start strength training. So one of my staff signed me up with a coach and I started working out in the gym three days a week. And it was just to, heal my body, heal my lower back, heal a previous shoulder injury, heal my knees, which were creaking, you know, like yeah. I think creaking, like they maybe a 90 year old's knees who is unfit might creak. Um, and so we healed all of that. And that's how I was able to, then it took about six months, but then I was able to start running and biking 
from there. Awesome. Yeah. And the second part of your question, just about being in touch with my coach, you know, when I started on this endeavor, I really said, I know the importance of having a coach, a business coach, a life coach, a tennis coach. Um, I'd had tennis coaches for a long time, basketball coach, everything. And so I wanted the best of the best coaches. And that's when, you know, listening to Rich Roll's podcast and I'd heard about his coach and I just loved Chris's podcast and it, everything he said resonated with me. So I reached out to him and, and he took me on and, and Chris is just amazing. Like he, you know, I had to touch in touch base with him every single day, um, just sending a text, you know, capturing my day. And then he would tell me what to focus on, what not to focus on. He was incredibly, um, gracious in the area of self-compassion and just telling me to go easy on myself. And so it was less about the technique of biking and running at that point on the tour and really more about the mindset, the emotion, you know, what's happening in my soul as I'm becoming an endurance athlete. And, you know, you do emotionally, psychologically go through a lot when you push your body every single day like this. And that was unexpected for me. It was, um, it, it was transformative and it was very much an existential experience at the same time. And Chris was able to support me through all of that as well. Awesome. Did you, do you mind me asking, did you break down at any time uh, as part of the tour? I sure did. Yep. Yeah. 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 And I had this idea in my head and I don't know if it was from watching the Iron Cowboy documentary, you know, he broke down on day 15 or 19 of his 50 day tour. And I just had in my mind that it would be halfway through the tour. So like roughly day 15. And Chris had said, you know, sure, it might be then it might not be at all. And it might be earlier. And it was earlier for me, it was on day five. And I had gone up through all of Vancouver Island down to the Sunshine Coast and I was running, I had to run across the Lionsgate Bridge and my blisters and shin splints were excruciatingly painful and I wasn't crying about the pain and you know I, I had stayed up five nights very too late because we had stayed with friends like I'd mentioned and I just hopped into the sport crew vehicle just to, you know, change my blister pads and to uh, have somebody massage my shins. And I fell asleep. I was exhausted. And I woke up and we're making a documentary. So I had my entire film crew with the cameras in my face. And I just saw the look of expectation on their face. Like, okay, we're going to get up and run and bike. And I, I just couldn't do it. I was so... Um, it wasn't the pain. It was more the feeling of letting everybody down, like letting all the people I, you know, said I would run 3,200 kilometers. It was letting down our sponsors. It was, you know, letting, you know, letting myself down. Cause I don't know, I had set this crazy goal thinking it was doable. And then I realized maybe it wasn't doable and maybe I couldn't continue. Um, it was, you know, letting my family down because they had taken a month out of their life. My husband had worked so hard prepping everything to get ready for the tour. He's an incredible support, you know, and he's so loving and kind. And it was just, you know, I felt like I was just letting everybody down. And then I was also that expectation that I'd have my breakdown on day 15, but it actually was coming on day five. So I was partly crying about that. Um, and it was just about everything. And, um, but it felt good to release it and to be, you know, Brene Brown talks about being vulnerable and I pure. couldn't have felt more vulnerable. In that yeah. Moment. To be authentic and pure. Right. Yeah. So, uh, 
you know, even congratulations on that. Cause I think, you know, you, yeah, I mean, I would have the same mindset. I, my mindset would probably, I'm going to do it this every day and I'm not breaking down at all, but you know, we, we all know what happens and, and you're beating, you know, you're bringing your body to a place that's probably never been before. Right. In terms of mental exhaustion, physical exhaustion, just, just everything. So, uh, I can just tell, I mean, I was almost crying when you're telling me that story because I'm thinking, oh man, poor Nicolette. It's like, oh my gosh, crazy. Yeah. Um, looking back, do you believe you did everything in terms of training? Like if looking back um, and maybe a better way to ask this question is for your next tour, are you going to do anything different in terms of your training? Yeah, I'm going to do a hell of a lot of things differently. Um, so the training was great. Um, Chris had a really incredible training program, but in looking back, I realized that I played it safe in the training. I would do exactly what he said to do. And I didn't really push myself um, beyond that. And I know that I do need to push myself. Um, I need to push myself on those days even when Chris says, okay, you know, stay in Z2, I'll stay in Z2. But it was, it's more about understanding the emotion that's happening because I went from working at the computer, being with my kids to hopping on my bike or running and I never warmed up and I never cooled down. And so I cheated my body on that. I, um, on the strength training days, you know, Chris would have it all laid out and it's interesting when you're strength training on your own that I realized you don't push yourself the same way as if you're in a class. So all my strength training now is going to be with a personal trainer. Again, it's going to be in a gym, probably with other people. I'm quite competitive. So it's to really make sure that I am um, working hard. So I think I kind of cheated myself in the strength training by just being like, oh, I can do, you know, 10 pushups, but they weren't really good, solid pushups. They were lazy pushups. That I would do differently. Um, my nutrition was great throughout. That's one thing I did really well. And um, that is what I'll continue to work on. And so that was an upside. Um, I know that all of my 90% of my training was at night um, because I'd work in the day, then be with my kids and then go out when you know they were going to bed. And I'm going to move all my training to the morning time. Um, I think that that will make a huge difference. I think my body will actually train better, recover better, um, and, you know, not exhaust my adrenals as much. Like my adrenals are great. My kidneys are great, but, uh, I have a feeling that I would actually be more fit if I trained in the morning. It's just a feeling. I'm not sure if there's actual science in that, but it's just a gut instinct. So that I would change. And I'm actually going to push myself on the Hills because I live in Pemberton and everything is very flat. And I would do the same 100 kilometer um, back and forth. It's actually 225 kilometer back and forth. So I would do that four times and it's flat. So I'm going to go find hills and I will seek them out. And because the hills were, they were tough. So I actually trained my body on the tour with that. And even though I'm supposed to stay in Z2 on the hill, it's like at any point in my training for 80% of my training, I have to train my body to stay in Z2 on the hills, which I didn't do. So that'll, that'll change this wow. time around. It's amazing yeah. to learn it, all the learnings. Holy smokes. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot. Well, it's different. It's like race day versus training day, right? It's yeah. like, and it sounds like you just learned so much. So, um, and in terms of your nutrition, you mentioned you're, um, you know, you're probably out there, I'm going to guess eight hours a day when you're on tour, probably minimum. 
Um, and I assume you just tried to replenish X number of calories every hour. Um, yeah. And what types of foods did you bring along with you or what did you have? Yeah, in the morning, I'd always have a huge bowl of oatmeal and, you know, with all different additions to it. So chia or hemp or coconut and um, some nuts and seeds. I'm not huge on nuts and seeds, but we would definitely um, add a little bit into there. I don't do a lot of protein before my training. <clears throat> and then on the bike, we would just throw in whatever leftovers from dinner were in there. So often like potatoes and yams. I had date bars. So dates mixed with a you know bit of coconut and um, <clears throat> shredded coconut and maybe a few, a few cashews. Um, again, not very high in the protein, but definitely more in the high carb foods, always a banana or, you know, so every hour I eat 200 calories. So that's usually like half a banana and like a date or two dates. Um, often I had peaches. So going through, you know, the middle of BC, it's all farmland, organic growers everywhere. So I would just stick peaches in the back of my pocket, my bike uh, jersey pockets, and I would eat whole peaches. I would eat uh, watermelon, um, throw that in my bike cases, cut up watermelon cubes. Um, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think of all the things, but basically all high carb foods. Yeah, would yeah, yeah just, just, to, every... just, to, just to build your glycogen <laughs> keep your glycogen uh, stores full I exactly assume. yeah right. and just nibble on them throughout the hour while I'm biking and then just making sure I got those 200 calories and then when I got home my husband would have an incredible meal and often you know again this is where the protein would come in so there's the beans lots of beans and grains uh it's tofu sometimes would be added in there uh lots of you know potatoes, those are really great in protein. So lots of potatoes every single day uh, and loads and loads and loads of vegetables, just cooked and raw vegetables. So yeah. that was, I felt great and I would recover really, really well. Like I'd wake up every morning feeling incredible. Ready, and my ready muscles, to go. Yeah. what's that? Ready to go. Yeah, ready to go. Muscles <laughs> felt great. Knees, elbows, joints, everything felt amazing. The only thing again was the shin splints, but that was due to my calf muscles being way too tight. Shin splints and the blisters. Besides that, you were great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, so in terms of uh, plant-based diet, because obviously you were fueled by a whole food plant-based diet, it sounds like, you know, because there's still naysayers out there that says, oh, you know, that say, oh, we need this or we need meat or we need animal protein or that type of thing. Obviously, you didn't have any because I know the way you eat, but you had zero issues whatsoever in terms of fueling and recovering based on a full, fully plant based diet is what I hear you saying. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I'm sure people who are endurance athletes or who are sports nutritionists, what they care about more actually is how I do after the tour. And so this is where we see a lot of endurance athletes who go really hard for not just an event, but multiple events in multiple years. And so what it is, is that you have to make sure that you don't, you know, burn out the adrenals, burn out um, you know, affect your endocrine system, which is your hormone system. And so, you know, a lot of people crash after tour. And definitely when I got back, you know, from not getting the dopamine and the serotonin every day, because you're just, I was flooding my brain every day for hours. And so I felt like I was on a high all day long. But then when I came back home to recover and rest, that was, you know, you, you can crash. So I definitely had that sort of um, crash, but not an adrenal or physical crash. Or for example, a lot of athletes, their joints will flare up when they stop training. And this didn't happen to me. Like I felt 
amazing after the tour, um, just as I did on the tour. And so, um, so far, it seems like it's good. You know, when I do the 72 days across Canada, you know, that's double the amount of time. And what I know my coach is looking at is what happens in the months after the tour. He wants to make sure my body stays strong in that time. Um, you know, and David Goggins, I read his book while I was on the tour or listened to it in my, in my earbud. Um, and he, you know, and he had that exact thing happen. His nutrition is so poor. Um, he was eating like Ritz crackers on hundred mile races and all of that. And so when he stopped his whole body just crashed basically. Yeah, his and, adrenals were shot, his cortisol levels, his inflammation, like everything, right? Yeah, exactly. Whereas mine, you know, I took the Dutch test and my, my all my hormone levels are amazing. My blood work is superb. And in fact, it's actually better um, since I started training and um, doing the tour than it was before I started exercising. So, uh, so that's why I say like, I feel pretty confident that my nutrition is, is good. That's amazing with that level of activity, because I was one of the questions I had noted here to ask you was, you know, how were your, you know, cortisol and your adrenal levels, your hormone levels. And if you did the Dutch test, you know, exactly. Uh, it's one of my favorite go-to tests. So you know yeah. exactly how they are. So uh, good for you. That, that says so much, you know, and it just fully supports the whole, um, whole food plant-based diet. Right. But with, with that level of activity. So again, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And for anybody out there who's, you know, even if you are a meat eater um, or if you are a, you know, let's say vegan, I never like to use the word vegan because you could be eating so much processed, refined food. Um, and in fact, the only day on the tour, um, we had a really horrific, horrific day and just so many events, everything went wrong. And it was 2.30, we were in the wrong town, the highway no longer connected to where we needed to. So we had to drive 45 minutes back in the opposite direction. And so we pulled over and we happened to pull over into an A&W. And, you know, they have the Impossible Burger and, you know, I don't eat fast food, but on this particular day, I was just angry. And, you know, I was, and we were laughing hysterically because that's how everything was so crazy, but just angry at the fact that, you know, nothing that we had planned that day went well. And um, so I got the impossible burger and, you know, and I normally would never eat, you know, processed refined food like that. And I was like, I'm just going to eat it. Cause I was, you know, this is the self-sabotage and me on coming a, out on, on a process bun as well. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Just awful. And, um, so I got it and then I looked at it and then I didn't eat it. And then an hour later, we're finally like at the place where we're supposed to be. And I just decide to eat it before, you know, I get on my bike, which again, self-sabotage at its max. I was like, this day's ruined. I'm just going to ruin it even more. And I did. And I ate that thing and I felt literally so, so sick. And um, I had all of a sudden my energy just plummeted within 10 minutes of riding. And um, I like couldn't, I couldn't understand why my legs weren't working. I was like not able to get up the hill. I thought it was because it was too hot. I thought it was because the hill was too steep. Um, and it was just like, again, it could, so that's it. On that day, we called it. I ended up hitchhiking with a couple. I put my thumb out and I was like, can you strap my bike to your car and take me up to my sport crew vehicle? And yeah. And I, you know, felt like vomiting. It was, yeah, definitely. If you're doing this kind of any kind of, I mean, if you're just living life, you want to eat whole foods, you do not want to venture to the processed refined foods. They don't serve your body at all. Yeah. And the sad part, I mean, it's a great lesson for, and, you know, I've done the same thing from time to time. And it's amazing because, you know, what your story tells me, my conclusion is because you eat 
so the proper way, plant-based, whole food, plant-based, that when you, you even went off of it a bit and a lot of people would say, oh, impossible burger, that's a good burger. That's a, you know, but it's still highly processed. And we all know the, you and I know the ingredients that goes into it. And it just totally threw your body out of whack. Right. It's just, oh, yeah. Cause your body knows what's good and what isn't. Right. And, exactly. And you were probably inflamed and everything. Right. The whole, whole bit. well, that, yeah, it's interesting that you say that because in the whole tour, you know, my coach had said, you know, there's a chance that you're going to actually gain weight because you end up hanging on to all of this water. And, um, and, and of course you're not consuming more electrolytes. And if you have lots of sodium in your electrolytes and your body will hang on to the water to, uh, dilute the, um, sodium content in your cells. So that creates edema and then which creates inflammation. It's like a vicious cycle. And because I didn't add sodium, like very minimal sodium and only through my electrolyte noon tabs, that's the only place where, you know, we didn't put salt on the food at all. And it was on that day that I noticed my ankles start to swell. And I was looking at them and I'm like, that's so interesting. You know, I had this impossible burger and all of a sudden, like I can feel, you know, the socks tightening around my ankles. And, um, but then, you know, after, you know, a day of going back to just normal eating again, you know, I didn't have any swelling in my hands or my feet. I didn't have swelling throughout my body. Um, my joints always felt amazing. Yeah, no, good for you. Just again, it just, it's a good lesson just to, you know, the body wants to heal, the body wants to be well. And when we treat it well, it notices those bad things that we put in it, right? oh. it reacts. So yeah, it's immediate. Yeah. So I was two things I had down to ask you one was what was the worst day? And I think you just answered me on that one. So give me your best day. What was your best way? I, I'm sure you had many best days. But if you were to say, Okay, this was a magical day. Well, what? Tell me about it. Oh, my gosh, there's so many magical days but one really stands out for me and it's when I was going from the Okanagan uh to <clears throat> I want to say it was I think the campsite we ended up going to was Peachland yeah in Peachland and it was a hot day it was like lots of hills lots of elevation um but then rolling hills as well you know and um, I started a little bit late that day, so I didn't get back until probably nine o'clock that night, but it was, I mean, I felt great, but it was when I just remember cycling and looking across the, the hills and seeing the views and all of a sudden it was like I was one with everything, the past, the present, and the future. And it was beautiful because it felt like if I looked at a rock on the side of the road, I would hear the story of that rock, like where it tumbled from, or maybe where it got kicked off a car tire and went flying. And then it just brought me into this world of storytelling. And then I looked over the, the hills and I could, you know, see indigenous, you know, communities traveling over this land and, you know, setting up camps and foraging in the bushes. And, you know, it was just this incredible experience of, um, being so present, not thinking and judging, you know, how I was biking, not caring how hot it was. Um, I remember I had sent my support crew vehicle to the camp because I said, I got this. So you guys just go and set up camp. Um, and it was really, really hot and there wasn't a tree for miles. And then I remember coming up against a tree and it was on the opposite side of the road. And I got off my bike and I thought, I'm just going to rest under the tree for 10 minutes while I eat. And, 
and have a bathroom break. And I just remember complete gratitude for absolutely everything, you know, for the breeze, for that tree, for the stories and the whispers from the landscape. And it just felt like the world was perfect that, you know, climate change is upon us, but you know what? I have hope that we're gonna get through this. COVID, you know what? It was a blip in our existence, but there's been blips in our existence before. We're going to get through this. So it was complete hope as well for, for humanity, for the animals, for nature, for our planet. That was a perfect that, day for me. That's beautiful. So you were one with your world. That's what it sounds like to me. You were one and, and that overwhelming. And, and we're lucky to get those a few times in our life where you're just that overwhelming joy and happiness and presenteeism. And, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and, and I agree it, for those moments, it, it generally happens in nature, right? Yes. So uh, that's, I'm so glad you experienced that. And I, I can tell that uh, it was just beautiful. So good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, just uh, last thing I really want to touch on is I know part of your a big part of what you did was to um, visit, uh, you know, the youth and, and communities that are having challenges, let's say getting the type of food that, that you promote and, and we both eat uh, whole food plant based diet. Can you just talk a bit about what you witnessed when you were out there and some of the towns and the villages and, and what are some of the challenges that these people are facing? The challenges are so, you know, and, and you can't generalize from one community to another because every town is different. And crossing BC, you know, they say geographically, we have the most diverse landscape than anywhere else in the world. British Columbia has rigid cliffs and sandy dune beaches, and we have, you know, desert, and then we have rainforest and, you know, literally every climate you can imagine all in one province. And and um, so going from community to community, every it, it's just different. You see that the Okanagan, it was, it actually really made me quite sad just to see all the landscape taken up by wineries. And mm. so, um, you know, people are still growing food, but not at the vast amount that you see, you know, the grapes growing. And that was hard to see because, you know, going through some of these reservations, especially in the interior of British Columbia, you know, you see, you know, you, a lot of these communities are eating out of gas stations. That's the only thing they have access to. Meanwhile, there's all of this land around them and the farmers are growing wine and cannabis. So cannabis was the other thing. Every single community that I went through, it was either cannabis and A&W were hands down the most prevalent thing I saw in every single community. Wow. And I love, sure, the science behind cannabis, the healing potential behind cannabis. Um, so, I, so I'm not saying anything bad about that, but why couldn't we see a beautiful organic grocery store and, and an incredible cafe that prepares beautiful, healthy, affordable food? Why and then you see the cannabis that? store. And when do what? Like the green mustache. Like the green mustache or, you know, there's, there's so many great people doing great things, but it was hard to find healthy food in a lot of these communities. And one of the biggest things that, you know, several people said to me, it was just the lack of awareness, actually, that food has the potential to heal the body and to reverse chronic diseases. So that ended up being um, one of the big things, because before you can even get into the 
conversation about the need to grow healthy food or prepare healthy food, people have to understand why they would even want to eat healthy food. And that was a lot. I met people who had beautiful stories of reversing their diabetes, heart disease, cancer, autoimmune disorders with food. But then I equally had conversations with people who said, I don't eat vegetables. Why would I eat those? They taste disgusting. <laughs> you know, so Crazy. Yeah. There's this dichotomy and we're not going to build that desire for wanting to grow healthy food until people understand that they don't have to be living with their diagnosed condition. They don't have to be taking their medications if they are consuming real whole foods. Yeah, for sure. So you're saying the message comes, the message will then prompt the, the growth in agriculture and organic yeah. farms and all that type of thing. Yeah, for exactly. Sure. So on that, if you were having this discussion right now with the uh, director of Health Canada, if that's the proper title, yeah. and you had some advice for that director of Health Canada, what would, what would your message be? Uh, and, and I'm with your tour in mind. Oh my goodness. Um, yesterday we were filming um, our documentary. We've been, we have the whole film crew staying at our house for an entire month. And wow. we were coming up with all of these slogans. And I said, you know what? I am tired of being kind and politically correct. And I'm tired of, you know, being the person who is like, let's educate you slowly. And, you know, and I, educate physicians, I work with government officials, and there's a lot of government officials and decision makers out there who have no idea what causes diabetes. They think it's sugar that causes diabetes. They have no idea. It's this high animal fat diet that contributes to diabetes. They have no idea. It's the glyphosate in our food that is contributing to our damaged microbiome, which contributes to the diabetes. And you know, I think I might say, you know, you need to print a slogan that is everywhere, just like the cigarette label, um, you know, cigarette warnings that went out once, you know, the science was definitive. Smoking causes cancer. And I would say we need to, you know, accept the 200 years of research that is out there saying that food reverses disease. And our, you know, my book is called Eat Real to Heal. And you know what? The director of Health Canada needs to go out there and start telling people, eat real or die. And so we had, you know, lots of these kind of, you know, just probably aggressive slogans. But I think that people, we need those same label warnings out there telling people that, you know, if you eat this food, you will create disease. We know now that eating refined processed food causes disease even though we're not allowed to use causation, um, you know, uh, in our language and most food producers, the imitation food producers, the refined food producers, processed food producers, you know, they would form a lobby group and stand up against that just like they did a hundred years ago. So yeah, what would I say to the director of health Canada? I would say, if you don't start printing those slogans and putting them everywhere, uh, you are the biggest contributor to the chronic disease epidemic. And we are not going to end this chronic disease epidemic. No. And, you know, and encouraging people just to eat 10 fistfuls of vegetables and fruits a day, like that is what we need to be telling people to do. Yeah, great, great, great message. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's just, it's sad because people just don't know because there's just so much, you know, that as you say, there's so, so many mixed messages out there and it's just so simple. 
eat whole food, plant-based, real simple, right? So, so anyways, simple. great, great uh, way to end our, uh, our talk today, Nicolette. And uh, again, I want to just say huge congratulations to you. Um, I know obviously you had some challenges, but you will be, and you are a better person today because of those challenges. Um, you've already shared the fact that the things you're going to do different for your cross Canada tour next year. And I almost look at what you did, uh, you know, in the last month and as the warm up for your real tour across Canada, which is, you know, when you look back, we always think, you know, why do things happen? And I, I'm a firm believer, I believe you are too, that things in life happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, again, this was the warm up for, uh, for next year. So I can't uh, wait to continue to follow uh, your, your journey because it's amazing. And uh, thank you again for being on our podcast today. I know our listeners will love it. I love your message, message to the uh, Director of Health Canada, and I can't, can't agree more. And if you haven't read uh, Nicolette's book, please uh, read it. It's amazing. As I said in my last podcast, I've, I've read it twice. Uh, also tune in. We'll put in the show notes how you can reach out and uh, talk to Nicolette if you'd like to talk to her personally, uh, and also how to get a hold of her and her team. So Again, Nicolette, thank you so, so much and I uh, look forward to our next chat. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure connecting with you. You ask great questions and yeah, it's, it's an honor to be able to, yeah, just sit with you and spend this time with you, Kevin. Awesome. Thanks for everything Thanks so you so much, Nikki. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, you too. Bye. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For all of our listeners, I invite you to visit AdvocateHealth.com where you can easily become an Advocate member to take advantage of some of the amazing services we offer. You can also access our latest blogs and listen to some of the best medical advice available on our podcast. Don't forget to grab a copy of my latest book, It's Never Too Late to Be Healthy, that is available to order through our website. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.